Good morning. Um, I know it's almost obligatory to say it's good to be with you today, um, but truly it is. Uh, <clears throat> when I was asked to speak in chapel, I immediately thought to myself, um, you know, um, should I teach in chapel? Because, you know, of late, <clears throat> man, I've been going through a lot of very painful and difficult circumstances. And, and then I said, well, I know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to teach on uh, Psalm 42, because this has been a psalm that has brought me great comfort um, over um, the past few weeks. So if you will, take your Bibles or device and turn to Psalm 42. And we're going to look at this passage. They asked me today, they, they said, Pastor Dennis, um, what, what do you want to call, uh, what do you want to title the sermon? And I said, uh, you know, miserable God, a miserable soul, great God. And I'm awful at uh, titling sermons, by the way. Um, our administrative assistant, Marsha, I'll give the outline to her, and she would say, well, what do you want to call the sermon? And I was like, I don't know, strawberries, whatever, uh, you know, because I'm just awful at it. And, I, and so I, I always struggle to know what to con- uh, call the sermon, but if I, were to, I, if I were to title this, that's what I would title it. Um, let, let's spend uh, the rest of our time just reading this wonderful, beautiful psalm. The psalm is actually uh, 42, 43. They are together, but for the sake of time, I'll just address 42. So here's now the word of the Lord. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade, But the word of the Lord 
the gospel, that endures forever. And this is the word that we are teaching to you. Amen and amen. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a renowned Welsh preacher, preached for many years in England. Um, He said something that has profoundly impacted my heart and thinking, and he said this. He said, as a Christian, Satan knows that he cannot get you into hell. And so he spends the bulk of his time, in fact, he spends all of his time making sure you live in misery. You think about that for a moment. If you have committed your life to Christ, if you have confessed Christ as Lord and personal Savior, if you've submitted to the Lordship of Christ, Satan no longer will try to get you in hell. He knows it's impossible. And so what does he spend the bulk of his time doing? What does he spend all of his efforts doing? He spends the bulk of that time and all of his efforts trying to make you miserable and trying to keep you in misery. That's a profound thought. And especially as we read this psalm, Psalm 42, this is exactly what we see. We see a man deep in the throngs of misery. And his misery is so vivid. Notice with me, first of all, in verse number 1 and 2, he describes his, minis- uh, his misery. I can't even say the word anymore. Misery. He describes his misery as if someone is dying from thirst. Do you know what happens to the body if you begin to die from thirst? Your tongue swells. Your organs begin to shut down. You begin to become delirious. He's saying, my misery is so powerful, so strong. It feels like I'm becoming delirious. I'm becoming disillusioned. It feels like I'm dying for thirst. But not only that, he says, look in verse number five. He says that his soul is in turmoil within me. The the Hebrew there is literally, my soul is dying within me. Or more specifically, my soul is melting away. He's saying my misery is so profound and so awful, it feels like I'm being burned alive. And then he goes on to say in verse number 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones. The the phrasing there is almost like murder is in his bones. What is the psalmist saying? It's like a butcher taking a piece of meat and chopping the meat up with the bones. That's how profound his misery is. It's like he's he's thirsty and about to die. It's like he's being burned alive. It's like he's being chopped up into little pieces. These are visceral images of his misery. And why is the psalmist misery? Well, he tell in misery. Well, he tells us in verse number 3 because he's being derided for his faith. Now hear me today, you and I may never be in a place in our lives when we are being derided for our faith in such a way that we feel like the psalmist. 
But it is the case that at some point in our lives, we will feel this level of misery. In fact, Thomas Watson, the English Puritan, says this. He says, because of the fall, we are made liable to all the miseries in this life. In other words, here's what Thomas Watson is saying. That because of the presence of sin, because of the power of sin, and because of the penalty of sin, there is going to come a day when your soul feels like it's dying from thirst. There is coming a day when your soul is going to feel like it's literally being burned alive. That it's coming a day when you feel as if you are on a slab and the butcher is chopping you up. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When? And so the question before all of us is this. What do you do when your soul is in misery? How do you respond when your soul is in misery? When that day comes, and for some of you, that day is now, that day was in the past, hear me today, it just doesn't come once. Don't think that Psalm 42 was a reality that happened once. No, 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 no. This is a reality that always happens. Constantly, constantly, you will be in misery. Why? Because you live under the power of sin. We live under the penalty of sin, and we live in the presence of sin. And because that, our soul is prone to be miserable. And so we are not talking about if, we're talking about when. And when that comes, what do you do? How do you prevent Satan from keeping your soul in misery? Well, the psalmist tells us, and there are two things that we can do. The first is this. We can cry out to God. Cry out to God. In verse number four, the psalmist says this. The things I remember as I pour out my soul, that, that word there for pour out my soul has the idea of crying out to God. And crying out to God is one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines today. Because crying out to God isn't simply going before God and giving him a laundry list of all the things that are bad in your life. Oh, no. Crying out to God is an expression of your faith that is so potent and powerful. There's one author, one commentator that summed it up in a way that's so much better than I can. He said this, Crying out to God is an act of desperation and total concentration. It is a fervent expression of faith in God and trust in His goodness and His power. Go through the entire Bible if you're looking for a Bible study. Go through the entire Bible and look at all the times the biblical characters cried out to God. This describes it beautifully. Now, even though all of those situations are different, crying out to God looks differently, there is a characteristic, a trait that weaves through all of them. And I'll just give you a few. I could, I could spend the day going through each and every one in this passage. There's so much there, but I'll just give you a few. Number one, a soul that cries out to God, when you, when your soul is miserable, 
One of the first things you need to do is cry out to God in desperation. Notice in verse number one and two again, he says, as the deer, pan, as the deer pants for flowing stream, Lord, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God. There's desperation. He's a thirsty soul in desperate need of God. The water that only God can bring. You and I probably have never been this thirsty in our life. But I've watched many, many videos that show animals who are desperate for water. And they search. And they dig. And they will go to great lengths to get it. That's what he's describing here. This desperation of the soul as you cry out to God. But notice also there's profound humility. In verse number two, he says, when shall I come and appear before, the, before God? The imagery here, and in fact, the actual Hebrew word here is to be before the face of God. He's saying, God, when will you allow me to be in your face again? In the ancient Near East, if you were of a higher class and a lower class, if you were the lower class, and you came in front of someone that's a higher class, you would put your head down and walk towards them. And if they accepted you, they would lift your face up and you would be face to face with them. That's the imagery here. He's saying, God, when can I be accepted in your face again? When can I see your face again? When can I be refreshed by your presence? Oh, look at this. Look at the, at the desperation. Look at the humility. But also look at the personal helplessness. Verse number three, my tears have been my food day and night. He's constantly weeping. Even in verse number four, as he pours out his soul, he's constantly weeping before the Lord. That's a soul that is crying out to God. And there's much, much more. But I want to end this point by saying this. Any soul that goes before the Lord and crying out to God is a soul that must come prepared to say the truth. So often we come before the Lord and we're holding back or we're misrepresenting who we are. The psalmist is not doing this uh, with his emotions. He is being honest with God. He's saying, God, I'm helpless. I'm crying out to you. I am like a thirsty animal rushing for water. If you want to be made right with God, if you want to cry out to God, you must come to God truthfully in humility and repentance. That's what he's doing here. He's crying out to God. Now, let's notice the second one. The second one is you have to talk to yourself. Notice what he says in verse number 5 and 11. This is a refrain that is common and well-known in this passage. It's the same in verse number 43. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you melting within me? Hope in God. What is he doing? He's talking to himself. Now, self-talk is big in our society today right? Everyone's doing it. Everyone's talking to themselves. I remember um, when I was younger, I used to watch an SNL skit with a character known as Stuart Smalley. 
And Stuart Smalley, uh, this fictional character on SNL, used to have people come on with him and he would give them, he was like a self-help guru and he would help these people, you know, who were struggling, who were in misery, as it were. And he would often tell them at the very end, I remember one time he had Michael Jordan on and, and Jordan was complaining about how no one respects him and he tells Jordan to look in the mirror and he says, repeat after me, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now, what was Stuart Smalley doing? Well, he was engaging in self-talk, right? Now, here's the problem with that specific kind of self-talk. That specific kind of self-talk is using yourself to talk to yourself. You might say, well, pastor, what's wrong with that? Here's the problem with that. It has too higher view of yourself. Listen to me. The psalmist is under no illusion that he can pump himself up. The psalmist doesn't go before a mirror and says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's not what he's saying. In fact, if you look at verse number 42, he talks about the fact that he's in this negative feedback loop. He's saying, look, I am thirsty, but yet my tears have been my food day and night. If you are thirsty, the last thing you want to do is drink your tears because your tears are salty. They'll just create more thirst. And so the psalmist is under no illusions that he can bring himself out of his misery. And today's self-talk tells you all you have to do is tell yourself all the right things and you'll change your life. You'll come out of that miserable state. They're putting too high a view on the self. The psalmist doesn't do that. He says, I know I'm in a negative feedback loop. The more I cry, the more I wallow in my misery. This even is seen so vividly in verse number 7, where he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. What is he saying there? He's saying, I am like a man who is in a raging sea, unable to save himself. And hear me today, when your soul is miserable, you cannot save yourself. No amount of self-talk can do it. So what's the difference between self-talk of the Stuart Smalley and biblical self-talk? Here's the difference. Biblical self-talk is the Holy Spirit talking to you through you. That's biblical self-talk. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you through you. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate it like this. Um, my wife and I, I told my wife one day, this was, this was a few years back, I told my wife one day, I said, honey, we need to write a bunch of thank you notes to people in our church because they've been so kind to us. And she said, all right. So we sat down and I said, how about you write the thank you notes and I'll just sign them? Because that's what you do, by the way. And so she agreed. And so I'm sitting now, and I'm busy studying, you know. And she would hand me a thank you note. I would read it real quick, and then I'd sign it. And, and we continued that process over and over again. Until about the seventh thank you note. And, and she handed it to me, and here's what the thank you note said. To my lovely wife, thank you for the way you love me and our family. Your selfless and tireless efforts mean so much to me. I appreciate you a great deal. 
I love you so much, your loving husband, Dennis. What did she do? Well, she wrote a thank you note to herself and gave it to me to sign it to give it to her. Hear me today. What my wife was doing was drawing out of me something that was already there. I love my wife. I'm so thankful for her. But you know what? There are times when I don't tell her that. I don't tell her I love her. I don't tell her I, th I am thankful for her. I don't tell her that I appreciate her. But in that moment, as someone outside of me, she was reminding me of what was true of me. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's reminding himself in the midst of, uh, of being his soul being downcast, the Holy Spirit is working through him to remind him what he ought to do in this situation, which is to hope in God. All of us need an external reality to remind ourselves of who we are internally. That's biblical self-talk. 1 John 3.20, John says this, When our hearts condemn us, remember that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. The psalmist's heart is condemning him, saying you're cast down. You are just like what those people say you are. And so often, we live in a cast-down state in which we constantly, our hearts constantly tell us things that are simply not true. Our heart tells us things like, well, what if this happens? And insert the worst thing ever. What are people going to think about me? This doesn't happen to anyone else, which, by the way, is a lie. Whatever you're experiencing has happened, is happening, and will happen to someone else. Or our self-talk tells us sometimes, our hearts condemn us and tell us, if we were only someone else, this wouldn't be happening to us. All of those things are lies that we tell ourselves. And what the psalmist is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing, is reminding the psalmist of what he ought to do. Hope in God. Now, time will fail me to go through all the ways that the psalmist actually creates or causes this hope, but I'll just give these as an example. First of all, he's reminding him of the need for God's word. In verse 1 and, ten, and 2, again, especially in verse number 2, he says, my, my soul is thirsty for God, for the living God. It literally, it, it, the idea behind that is there's a contrast between thirst and water. And what does the Bible say the word of God is? It's like water washing over the soul. When your soul is in misery, read the word. I think it was Spurgeon who said that the Psalms is the medicine chest for the soul. If your soul is in misery, read the Psalms and be refreshed by what God's people in the past have done to feed their souls. But not only that, our soul needs hope. 
a hope in something beyond itself. Whenever you and I are in a state of misery, we need to be reminded that this is the misery that we are experiencing is but light and momentary compared to what is going to be revealed. Light and momentary. That's what gives us hope. A last one that he gives in verse number eight is he talks about the steadfast love of the Lord, the hesed of the Lord. In other words, this covenantal love that God has toward his children, that if one of his children is in misery, he flees to them to lift them up. Look, I have four children. Pray for me. And um, my four children, I love them dearly. And if I ever heard one of them, one of them, is in trouble and is hurting. I flee to them. No questions asked. I'm not the parent, if, if my four-year-old is downstairs and he starts crying, I never yell out, are you okay? Do you really need me to come down there and take care of you? No, 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 no. I flee down there. I don't need a reason to run to my four-year-old and scoop him up and comfort him. This is what the psalmist is reminding himself, that even in the midst of this misery, God comes to him, scoops him up, and ministers to him. I'll say this one last thing. Every time I read this psalm, I'm reminded of Jesus on the cross, the epitome of misery and suffering of the soul. And he cries out to the Father, He says to the Father, he says, Father, help me. Help me as Jesus cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why why have you left me? And in that moment, at the very end, he says, Father, I commit my spirit into your hand. That Jesus, even in the midst of profound misery of the soul, Even though he felt forsaken by the Father, his very last words was, Father, I commit, I commit this soul into your hands. If you, when you experience misery, if you do nothing else, go before the Lord and say, Father, go before the Lord and say, Jesus, I just commit my spirit to your hand. Care for it well and he will. Let's pray. Father, oh man, there's so much in, in, this, in this chapter. There's so much in this portion of God's Word, and I know, I know I didn't do justice. But Holy Spirit, these are your people. You know what they need. You know their struggles far better than I do. You know the exact cause of their ministry, misery. Please come Now come and minister to their souls. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen and amen.